Blog Talk Radio. God. Good to be in God's house this morning. Amen. Hey, I'm blessed. I woke up this morning and was able to get up and come to church. Amen. It's a good day in the Lord. We're going to enjoy it. We're going to serve him. We're going to praise him. And we're going to give him the glory that's due. And, you know, I, I used to say this when I was over in Paris pastoring. We used to say this every Sunday morning. I forgot about it until just now. But uh, we used to say, I don't know what you came to do, but I came to meet with the Lord. We'd all say that together. Amen. And I said it this morning, I don't know what you came to do, but I came to meet with the Lord. And that's what we're going to do. I don't care about anything else going on around us this morning, whether it be politics or sports or, or, or just problems of life. Let's focus ourselves in. Let's meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords this morning, and let's, and let's worship him and give him the glory that's due. Let's stand together this morning, and let's turn to number 50, and let's sing, There is Power in the... That ain't the right song. That's the wrong song altogether. 181, 81. I'm looking at the wrong song list. That's what <laughs> Let's sing this morning. Christ receive a sinful man. Sinners Jesus will receive down the word of grace to all who the heavenly pathway leads. All who linger, all who fall, sing it o'er and o'er again. Christ receive a sinful man, make the message clear and plain. Christ receive a sinful man, come and he will give you rest. Trust him for his word is plain. He will take the sinfulness. Christ receive a sinful man. Sing it o'er and o'er again. Christ receive a sinful man. Make the message clear and plain. Christ receive a sinful man. Now my heart condemns. 
gives me not. Here before the law I stand. He who cleansed me from a spot, satisfied his last demand. Sing it o'er and o'er again. Christ received a sinful man. Make the message clear and plain. Christ received a sinful man. Christ received a sinful man. Even me with all my sins. Heard from every spot and stain, and with him I enter in. Sing it o'er and o'er again. Christ receive a sinful man. Make the message clear and plain. Christ receive a sinful man. Amen, and we are all glad of that fact. Otherwise, all of us would still be dead in our sins. Praise God, he came into this world to save sinners, whom I'm chief. Amen. I praise God, he washed me clean in his blood. And I'm going to tell you something this morning. I'm no longer a sinner, and neither are you. We are saints. Amen. I want you to know that this morning. We hear people all the time say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm not a sinner anymore. Christ has washed that sin away. Hallelujah. You say, but you still do right. My body, my body, it's, it's just like riding around in a jalopy. Amen. I'm just, I could be the best the best uh, stock car driver in the world. If I had to drive a jalopy around, it wouldn't make no difference how good I could drive. Amen. That thing's still going to sputter and cough and spit. And this old body's like an old jalopy. It still sputters and coughs and spits. And the mud. As good as I try to drive it, it still ain't going to do like I want it to. Come on in here, brother. Good to see you, Louis. Amen. But uh, but praise God on the inside. Amen. Paul, hey, Paul, Paul, Paul talked about that. Who saved me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God calls us saints. Amen. We, God doesn't call us sinners if we're washed in the blood. Amen. He calls us saints. Hallelujah. I'm a saint because of what Christ has done for me. Amen. Not because of anything I've done myself, amen. But it's good to be in God's house, and it's good to be washed in the blood of Jesus, and I'm sure grateful, amen. Anybody got prayer requests this morning? Yes, Miss Charlotte. Okay, we pray for you, foot. Did I see you raise your hand, Louis? Okay, I saw I had that a quarter mile. Yes, Miss Mary. Oh, mercy. Yes, absolutely. God knows who she is. We sure will. Somebody else? Anybody? Prayer request this morning. Boy, I used to work for that group, Bestel and mm-hmm. His wife passed on this week. Praying for the Bestel family. Okay. We Bruce lift, lift up the Bestel family in prayer. Bruce, Bruce Bestel. Oh. His wife passed away. Oh, man. Okay. We'll lift that family up in prayer. Um, any others this morning? Need to lift up Scott in prayer. Lift up. Unspoken, okay. Lift up Scott in prayer. Miss Joanne, pray for her this morning. She's not feeling her best. Miss Charlotte, yes. All right. Miss Charlotte has unspoken. Pray for Miss Nell. Pray for her foot. Pray for Dan. Dan and his leg. He done cut his foot this morning and fell in the shower. Pray for him. Pray for him to get some steadiness, some some balance, and and uh, and uh, everybody else that ain't here this morning. Let's lift them up in prayer. Don't know where they're at this morning, but God knows. Pray God to deal with them in, in, in their in their situation wherever they're at, and 
and give them whatever they need and get them back to us. Amen. I want to remind you, we're eating after service. Amen. I hope you brought your appetite. I hope you're looking forward to fellowshipping with us, and uh, we're looking forward to doing that. Any other prayer requests this morning before we before we go to the Lord? I want to remind you, uh, two weeks from now, I'll be, I'll be, I won't be here. Brother Lucas Fields will be here, and he'll be preaching. I'll be down in Rosanke, Texas, uh, at Dale High Baptist Church, a three-day revival, and uh, excited about that, looking forward to that. Gonna to get to preach with a uh, with a preacher I really admire, and, and looking forward to that too. And, and uh, so, pray for us, pray for me. Uh, I, I want to have exactly the right sermons, and so pray that God will, will give me that. And uh, and because uh, we want to see people saved down there, we want to see people saved. We want to see people commit themselves to the Lord afresh. So pray that God will work through me and through Dr. David Shepherd and through the Pool family who are singing uh, to uh, reach souls for for the kingdom of Christ. All right. Anything else from anybody? All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask God to uh, to meet with us this morning. Robert, lead us in prayer. Amen. You can be seated. number 68 number 68 face to face with Christ my Savior Play. 
rain. Face to face I shall behold him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all his glory I shall see him by and by. Face to face, oh blissful moment. Face to face to see and know. Face to face with my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who loved me so. Face to face I shall behold him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all his glory. I shall see him by and by. Glory, hallelujah. Woo, and that's real. Amen. That's as real as anything's ever been. 363. 363. Let him have his way with thee. That's real too. Amen. That's something people need to take notice of. Let him have his way with thee. Would you live for Jesus and be always pure and good? Would you walk with him within the narrow road? Would you have him bear your burden, carry all your load? Let him have his way with thee. His power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see. Was meant for him to have his way with thee. Would you have him make you free and follow at his call? Would you know the peace that comes by giving all? Would you have him save you so that you need never fall? Let him have his way with thee. His power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see. What's best for him to have his way with thee. Would you in his kingdom find a place of constant rest? Would you prove him true and providential test? Would you in his service labor always at your best? Let him have his way with thee. His power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see what's best for him to have his way with thee. 543. 543. I gave my life for thee. And quicken from the dead 
I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? My Father's house of light, my glory circle throne. I left for earthly night, for wandering sad and lone. I left, I left it all for thee, hast thou left all for me? I left, I left it all for thee, hast thou left all for me? I suffered much for thee, more than my tongue can tell. A bitterest agony to rescue thee from hell. I bore, I bore it all for thee. What hast thou borne for me? I bore, I bore it all for thee. What hast thou borne for me? And I have brought to thee down from my home above salvation full and free, my pardon and my love. I bring, I bring rich gifts to thee. What hast thou brought to me? I bring, I bring rich gifts to thee. What hast thou brought to me? And that's a that's a convicting song, isn't it? <laughs> that asked some pretty pretty heartfelt questions there. What you been doing for me? Amen. All right. Well, I'm gonna sing one before I get started. Uh, you weren't here. If you weren't here Wednesday night, you didn't hear me say this, but I'll say it again for you. We were on our way to church Wednesday night. I don't remember how we got on the subject of it, but I, I, I asked Mom and Charlotte the question. I said, "Can you reckon when we get up there to heaven and we're all gathered around the throne of God, if we'll ever sing any of these old songs out of these songbooks?" God said, "Hey." Amazing Grace song John Newton wrote. Y'all sing that one. You reckon God will do that to that? God say, I like that one y'all used to sing. I want y'all to gather around and sing that one. Can you imagine the millions of people in heaven? Can you imagine us all standing around the throne of God, looking at the throne of God, locked arms, holding hands, whatever, and singing, How Great Thou Art to God? Well, we're going to sing it this morning. Amen. And if you don't sing the chorus with me, you just go right on ahead. If you don't sing the whole thing with me, you can. Oh, Lord, my God. When I in awesome wonder consider all the world I have.
cough just jumped up on me. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. How many of y'all know what that chapter is? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That one's all about what? Charity. We won't say love, but it's charity. Amen. We're going to look at that this morning, and we're going to learn something today. I'm going to help you today if God God used me to do so, but I want to help you and be a blessing to you and give you some understanding. (coughs) Up until now, we've been talking about, well, the last few weeks we've talked about spiritual gifts. We've talked about how the church, we're all members of one body. And, uh, well, actually, you know what I, I realized? I didn't I actually didn't finish the end of chapter 12. I'm not going to finish it, but I'm going to read what I didn't preach, okay? And we'll read up, leading up to our chapter here. Beginning with verse 22. Nay, much more of those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable upon those we bestow the most abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. You get that right there? We ought to care about one another as the body of Christ. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer. So if you're hurting, I should hurt with you. Or if one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. If you're blessed, I won't, I'll, I'll feel blessed right along with you. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, government, and diversities of tongues. You notice where tongues is, don't you? It's the last one on there. It's the least important. But we'll get on to that later. We'll get there in chapter 14. Are all apostles? Of course not. Are all prophets? Of course not. Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Of course not. We all have different gifts according as the Spirit of the living God has given us those gifts to function in order to bring about a harvest for the Lord Jesus Christ. Our whole purpose and our whole purpose of having a gift and our whole purpose of being here as the body of Christ you can picture us, if you've ever driven past a field, and you see a whole bunch of people out there working, and these days we've got machinery, but used to be, you see, we do, if, I, I, when some of y'all were young, riding in a vehicle down a road, you've seen people out farming a, 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 a patch of ground, and there was a whole family out there working. Everybody was in, the kids, the grandkids, the grandpa, grandma, aunt, uncle, cousins, they all out there working that because, and they all got implements, and they're all working together. Some are better than others. Some are weeding, some are, some are doing this, some are doing that, some are we're playing in the dirt, but they're all out there working together. And God has put us in his field, and we're working together, and we all got our implement, whatever grace, whatever gift God's given us, and God's, taught, God's given us the ability to use that implement, whether it's a hoe or a rake or whatever God's put in our hand, whatever gift he's chosen to give us, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to handle it, Amen. And so he says, and Paul goes down, and again, remember, I want to preface this sermon with this statement. 
Let's remember this one verse. I keep everything I preach in First Corinthians. Everything goes back to this one verse. I keep having to look at Luis. You don't want over here. <laughs> it's like I feel like man. Some of y'all need to get over there. That's they, y'all. You need to recruit some of them. To come sit with you, brother. I just it ain't right. But but anyway, the verse that always stands out in my mind is is over there in chapter three where Paul said, "And I, brethren, could not speak unto you." Is under spiritual, but is under karma, is under babes in Christ. Right? He said, Y'all are a bunch of babies. And y'all know babies make messes. Babies tear up things. Babies, baby, baby, a baby will take a marker and, and mess a wall all up. If a baby gets the wrong, hands on the wrong thing, baby do damage. Okay? And Paul is reminding these babies that they're making messes. And they were making they were a bunch of selfish people. You know we've looked at this. They were accusing Paul of not even being who he was. And and, and even though he came and, and won them to Christ, they're accusing him of not even not even being an apostle. Not, and he's the one that started their church. And they're just they're just bonkers. These people are like a bunch of little kids, full brats who who all want the spotlight. Oh, look at me! I'm more important than this over here. My baptism is better than that guy's baptism. I like this preacher, and that preacher's no good because this is best. This is what I like. And, I mean, they're just a bunch of a bunch of little whiny crybabies down there, and they were making a mess of things, and this letter is Paul ripping them uh, ripping them up and, and, and putting them back together. He's saying, you need to learn how to be a Christian because they were doing a terrible job. Again, why is that the case? Because they're horribly influenced by the ungodly world around them, and they've grown up in a culture of paganism and, and idolatry and, and fornication, and, and listen, it's no different than kids growing up in this world today in America right now. America and, and Corinth are very much parallel. There is a bunch of, of worldly Christians in this church, just like America's churches have got worldly Christians in them today, and and, and a bunch of people who are complaining about what the preacher said and how he's doing. And, and again, I'm not saying y'all doing it in here, but it happens in a lot of churches. But anyway, let's get into this message, and we're going to get something out of this. So... This last verse in chapter 12, Paul says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Well, we're going to find out what he means about this more excellent way. I'm just going to go ahead and pray, and we'll get into the message. Let's do that. Father, I love you. I pray, Lord, you'd help me now. Put your hand on me and use me. I pray, Father, Lord, you know I've poured over this message and poured over this message and Lord God, it's in your hands now. I ask you, please, just take a, to put your hand on me. Spirit of God, take me and use me for the glory of God. I pray, Father, this morning that I'd honor Christ. Lord, I want to magnify him. And, I, Lord, I want to preach the word of God in, in spirit and power and truth. I pray, Lord, you'd help me to do that just now. Lord God, I'll trust you. And, Lord, I'm going to praise you for what you're going to do. And, Lord, I pray you do a work in somebody's life this morning. Lord, I pray you get a hold of somebody this morning and change them. And, Lord, they'd never be the same again. Lord, please, revive us in this late hour we're living in. I beg you, please, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I, I tentatively put a title on this uh, message, What Would Jesus Do? I, I thought it was funny because everybody used to wear them bracelets around. Well, you really want to know what Jesus would do, you'll see it in this chapter. Amen? Uh, so uh, most people, they just like to wear a slogan that really didn't mean much to them. Uh, but I always used to tell people whenever they wear them bracelets around, Jesus would get right with God. I mean, Jesus wouldn't get right with God. Jesus would be in church. That's what Jesus would do. Jesus would be in church. Amen. 
Jesus would be what church house is, amen. Jesus have Jesus would be Jesus would be preaching the word of God is what Jesus would be doing. But uh but but a lot of people just want to wear a slogan. They didn't really want to do anything with it, amen. But anyway, let's let's there's a verse I want you to turn to, and you don't have to turn there if you don't time or you don't feel like you can get there in time, but Matthew chapter twenty two Verses 37 through 40, before we even get into this chapter, and it's only got 13 verses. I know Robert's probably in the office wondering when I'm going to get into the message, but but we'll get in it here in a second. But I want to preface it with this scripture, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. I know y'all aren't going anywhere. We're eating, so we're not in a big hurry. Amen. We ain't got no church service this evening, so we can just relax and learn to, from the Lord today. Matthew 22, 37. Amen. Jesus said this, Jesus said unto him, listen to what it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Now, when it says the second is like unto it, it doesn't mean it's sort of like it, kind of like it, resembles it. No, it's kind of like if you had identical twins sitting right there in front of me on that front pew, I'd say, that one is like that one. That means they're identical. They look just alike. And that's what Jesus said meant when he said the second is like unto it. They're identical. The, what's identical with loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So you're to love your neighbor with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The Bible says on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You can sum the Bible, whole Bible up, in these two commands. And that's something pretty powerful right there. We're summing up the whole Bible with this with this two commands right here. So let's look at it this morning. Let's get in our scripture. Chapter thirteen of uh first Corinthians. <clears throat> Paul said, Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling symbol. Well, first of all, let's address this word charity. What is charity? If all you ever knew was what you learned growing up in America, you would think it was a place where uh, they take care of poor people. That's not what the word charity means. So charity does not mean an organization that, that helps the impoverished and the unfortunate, less fortunate. Charity means, now hear me, charity means sacrificial giving. It is a sacrificial giving of oneself. It's giving until it hurts and then you just keep on giving. Can I, can I, I'll sum up the word charity for you very quickly. You put nails in these hands and nails in those feet and you nail him to a cross, and you let him pour out all of his life's blood for your sins. That's the definition of charity. That's the definition of sacrificial giving. Christ gave his back to the smiters, and they laid on him 39 stripes with a cat of nine tails and put, and put furrows all in his flesh, ripped him down to his bones where all of his bones are exposed. He could see all of his internal organs poking through his flesh. That's sacrificial. He did that because you and I have a sin problem that we can't fix. Jesus paid literally all the price that we owe. He he suffered for every sin we've ever committed and ever will commit. So when he says, Paul says, uh, I speak 
though I speak to the tongues of men. He just got through speaking about tongues over there in chapter 12 as being a gift. And he, and he said, I'm showing you a more excellent way. He said, though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, what do you mean he's, I speak with the tongues of men and of angels? Well, Paul spoke with the tongues of men. As a matter of fact, we know that Paul spoke Hebrew, he spoke Latin, and he spoke Greek. So he spoke those three languages we know of. But he also, he went into all these nations of, of Asia Minor, and up in those nations they spoke different dialects. So I'm assuming God gave, God gave him the gift to be able to speak in those people's languages, their, their language, so they could understand him speak. But Paul said, I spoke in the language. The tongues of men and of angels. Angels, that's kind of odd, wasn't it? But I think I know what that means. Over in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 5, we have the account. We have the account uh, where he's talking about. Let's just turn there. Like I said, I'm not in a hurry. I'm not going to hurry. We're going to get done. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 5. 2 Corinthians 12, 1-5, Paul said, It's not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. You go back 14 years from that statement, you find he is in Lystra, where he was stoned to death. They picked up rocks and they bashed his head in. He was stoned. They threw him outside of the city on the side of the road like a dead dog. He said, Whether, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth, such a one caught up to the third heaven. That means he went up past the clouds, he went up past the stars, and he went on up into the heaven of God. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth how he was caught up into the into paradise. And listen, and he heard unspeakable words, for it's not lawful for a man to utter. For such a one will I will I glory. Yet myself will I not well I, I will not glory but in mine infirmities. Okay, Paul I believe Paul is speaking of himself when he when he was stoned on the road to Lystra and he heard he heard language in heaven. He said I speak in the tongue of men and of angels. I'm just going to throw this in as a little side note. Don't mean nothing, but I believe I have a, a strong feeling that the heavenly language is Hebrew. And I and the reason I say that in Acts 26, if you want. Turn over it real quick. You can. Acts 26. Let me read this to you. Acts 26, verse 14. <clears throat> Paul is accounting what happened to him on the road to Damascus. In verse 13, he said, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Hardly to kick against pricks. So God spoke Saul from heaven in the Hebrew tongue. Is that because Saul knew Hebrew? I don't know, but it could be. But I know, I, again, God's chosen people, that was their language. I don't know. It could have come down from heaven. Maybe not. But that's just a side note. It won't cost you no extra. But anyway, let's look at our text again. So he said, though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not charity. Charity is the main thing. Charity is the most important, the most important thing, that he does what he does with a sacrificial heart. He's speaking about his motive, amen, his heart. 
right? Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Amen? And he's, he's saying, as though I, I'm speaking it, if, if, if my heart ain't in what I'm speaking, if I'm not doing this because I, sacri- I want to sacrificially give back to my Savior, he said, he said, I'm just making noise. It's like somebody over If you've ever heard anybody learning to play the trumpet, my grandson learned to play the trumpet. He's pretty good now, but he wasn't that good when he started. My stepbrother played the trumpet, and I tried to play it too. And it sounded about like Paul was talking about here. It's just making a racket. Ah! It didn't sound too pretty, you know. And and Paul said, hey, look, and we can we can we can know all kinds of wonderful things to say, but if our heart ain't in it, it don't do anybody any good. Amen. Paul and in verse two he says he talks about the mind. Amen. He said, and though I have the gift of prophecy, man, I'm smart. I know what the Bible says, and I can teach it. I understand all mysteries. I understand things the prophets didn't know. I understand about the Lord's church. I understand about the coming of Christ. I understand about all these things. He said, and I have all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, if it were possible to have all those things, and yet not care about people getting saved, not care about why Christ died on the cross, not caring why Christ shed his life's blood, if I just do it to show Show off how smart I am. But I, I don't have charity. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. It becomes useless information unless it's spoken from a heart full of charity. Revelation 2.4 tells us, listen to what it says about the church at Ephesus. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. They were a church operating. They were having services. There were people coming in and going out, shaking hands and patting backs and saying, good to see you. Had a great day today. God bless you. But there was no love of God. There was no desire for, to win people to Christ like there was before. The, the sacrificial giving had ceased. And so Jesus said, I got something against y'all because you quit loving me. You quit loving me. And churches in America have quit loving Jesus. They've loving themselves now. Their hearts, their hearts are not in it. That's why we're not seeing revival. That's why we're not seeing souls being saved everywhere. Because people have, their hearts are gone. It becomes useless. They were a great church, except they were operating without charity. That's the problem. And without charity, nothing works. Revelation 3, 1, he addressed the church of Sardis. He said, under the angel of the church of Sardis, right? These things saith he that have the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest, and art dead. The church of Sardis looked lively on the outside. Drove by, you say, man, there's a lot going on in that church. They were dead as, dead as a rock on the inside. Jesus said so, and Jesus wasn't making mistakes when he said that. <clears throat> they weren't loving him with their mind. They were smart. They knew a lot of things. They could preach, but they didn't. They weren't. They weren't giving themselves to God. And he said the third part was loving him with all your soul, which is your will. Verse three, he said, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now. Paul said, boy, I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Paul lost everything to serve Christ, and he said so. You know, again, he had everything. He was, some, 
He was a rich fella. He was a smart fella. He was a respected fella. And he lost every bit of that when he became a Christian. So, yes, I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Somebody else is living off of my things. And though I give my body to be burned, and I believe Paul knew, he didn't know how, but he knew he was going to die a martyr's death. He was going to die starting the service of Christ. So he's saying something literally. I gave up everything, and I'm going to give my life. And if I did that, and I didn't do it with charity, it profiteth me nothing. I'd stand before God, and he'd say, well, what'd you do that for? Wasn't for me. Without God's love, hear what I'm going to say if you don't hear nothing else. Without God's love is the driving force in your life, it means nothing. John six sixty three. it is the spirit that quickeneth, that makes us, that gives us life. That's what that means. The spirit that gives us life. The flesh profiteth nothing. You can't please God if you are living in your flesh. And now, if you don't know what that means, let me explain to you. You are a triune being if you're saved. Three parts. You are body, soul, and spirit. Your body is, of course, the thing that's the flesh, and your soul is how you communicate with the rest of the world, and your spirit is how you communicate with God. Okay? You can't communicate with God through your flesh. God won't. God is not going to take hold of your flesh once he gets the rest of it. The only way your flesh can get involved is if it is submitted to your spirit. Your spirit you get you, you your relationship with God is your spirit and God. And if you if you if you feed that, if you work on that, if you spend time with God and you and you get in his word and you, you tell him all that's in your heart in prayer and you receive all that God has for you in the Bible study, listen, the spirit of God will stir you up and get you busy uh, letting Christ work through you and your old flesh will lay down and hush. But if you, if you neglect the place of prayer, if you neglect the place of Bible study, if you neglect your relationship with God, your flesh will take over, and your flesh will be on autopilot, and you will have no spiritual life, and you will go through this life and get to the end of it and find out you wind up empty-handed before Jesus. Your flesh don't do you any good. It won't win you any awards. There will be no coronation in heaven on account of your flesh. There won't be a reward given on account of your flesh. God ain't going to applaud anybody's flesh. It profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. It's the word of God working in us and through us. First Timothy 4, 8, he, he goes on and talks about bodily exercise, working out, pumping iron. It profiteth little. You get all the muscles. It ain't going to do you much good because guess what? When you get older, all the muscles are going to sag. It ain't going to do you any good. He said, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of the life which is to come. You have to have charity. You gotta have you have to have the love of God that He puts in you. You don't find it, you don't go manufacture it. Pray, God, help me love others like you love them. God, please give me the mind of Christ. Give me the compassion of the Lord Jesus. And when he was looking on the cross, looking down at those people who had nailed him to it, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We want to have that kind of a heart. 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That don't mean loving people want them to be slaves. It means loving the things of the world and not loving God because you're distracted in your flesh from the spiritual life you're supposed to be having. 
Jesus explains to us that it works similar to a vining plant like grapes. John 15, 5, hear what Jesus said. I am the vine. I have grape. I have a, well, it's not living anymore, but I have had a grapevine over my house. I am the vine, you are the branches. The vine doesn't produce the fruit. A vine doesn't put fruit on. The vine doesn't set fruit. It's the branches that sets fruit. He said, he that abideth in me, and, and, and you know, you've looked at it, that the vine, it has a connecting place there where the, where the branch connects to it. Okay? And as long as there are no obstructions between the van, branch and the vine, the vine will flow nutrients, sap, to the branch and produce the fruit. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. So why do we try to do anything for God without Jesus? Why do we, why do we not seek, seek the help of God before we set out to do something for God? And, and maybe you don't, but I can tell you this, for a lot of my Christian life, I've tried to please God without seeking God's help to please him until I finally figured that out. And boy, I was sure I sure was relieved when I figured out I couldn't do it on my own. <laughs> but as a teenager, I wasted a lot of time. In my 20s, I wasted a lot of time because I didn't understand things. You've got to let... It, it, again, the branches don't scream at the vine and say, hey, give me what I need. I've got to make this fruit. It's the vine. You know? That little tomato vine that goes across the sidewalk. I didn't plant it there, just go in there. But them tomatoes, they just they don't look like they're worried. They don't look like they're in a hurry to get rice either. They just they just produce it. And again, we don't panic. We just say, Lord, work in my life. Lord, love people through me. Lord, use me. Lord, give me your kind of love. And that's what we're talking about this morning. So what is charity like? Well, he tells us in verse four, he says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. So it suffers long and is kind. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, I don't know about you, but I can tell you about me. God has certainly been and continues to be patient with me. Through all of my, uh, through all of my trips and falls and hissy fits and temper tantrums and selfishness, God is mighty through all of my blunders and goofs and mistakes and and and, and just outright messes I've made. God has loved me when I've been unlovable. I don't know about you, but maybe that's the same case you found. When you're unlovable, God still loves you. Amen. Again, I, I, you know He was kind to me when I wasn't kind. Amen? God's been very good to me. Couldn't you say the same? Amen? Okay. God, it says right there, charity suffers. Like, so that's God's nature, to be long-suffering and kind. You know, some of us may think we're kind people, but I can tell you a good way to figure that out. How do kids respond to you? Kids like you? If kids like you, it's usually because you're a kind person. Kids are a pretty good barometer about people having kindness in them or not. Kids don't want to have nothing to do with somebody that's not very kind. But uh, anyway, he said, "Charity envieth not." It's, it, it's long suffering, but it, it but it, but it, it doesn't envy either. And some people fail to realize how deadly a sin envy is. 
that's all that ain't no big a deal. That's not that deep a sin. Well, it is too because if you remember back the story of Cain and Abel, envy is what got Abel murdered because Cain was jealous of it, of what he brought to God and how God was pleased with his offering. So he picked up that rock and smashed his brother's head in and killed him. Envy got Joseph enslaved. His brothers didn't like it because he was a favorite. And, and Daddy made him that fancy coat. So they just they went down there and found some slave traders and throwed him in a hole and said, hey, go get that boy out of there and he'll, he'll go... He'll go to work for you. How much you give me for it? They sold their brother off into slavery because of envy. Envy got Jesus crucified. Did you know that? The Bible tells us that in Matthew 27, 18. The Bible says, for he, meaning Pilate, knew that for envy they had delivered him. They delivered Jesus. Why? Because, now listen, they didn't want Jesus messing up their religious system. They didn't want Jesus coming in and telling them anything. They knew... He wasn't no ordinary man. They knew nobody could know what he knew. They knew nobody could do what he did. But for envy, that's why they that's why he went to the cross. The Bible said charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Charity don't need listen, when you've got when you've got the right kind of love in you, this is agape love. You've heard the word agape? There's different words, Greek words for love, and, and charity is so much deeper than love. Amen. Charity goes so much further than love. We know there's we know there's uh, there's uh, eros, which is physical love between a husband and a wife. There's there's phileo, which is which is brotherly love between people. You know, saying hey, are you my friend? I love you and all that. And then and then there's agape, agape, which is again, it's God's love. It's it's unmerited, it's sacrificial. And that kind of love don't need the spotlight. That kind of love ain't looking to be to get all the attention. That kind of love uh, is not is not looking for a pat on the back for a good job done. And, and 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 you know, that kind of love is satisfied with the results if nobody knows. Charity can work anonymously. It doesn't bother a person if they got charity to do something and nobody takes notice of it. They're they're happy to serve God and do it for the Lord. Matthew six three the Bible says when thou doest alms in other words when you when you give sacrificially he says let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth so in other words it's done out of love for God not for anybody to notice it's done in the power of God and for the glory of God verse five it says that that charity it doth not behave itself unseemly seeketh not her own is not easily provoked the love of Christ Listen, where there's charity, there'll be kindness and there'll be good manners. And maybe not maybe not the stuffy, look how good cultured I am uh, way of showing manners. I'm perfect and everything. But, but, but just the fact that people are not rude to each other. People are kind to one another. I mean, listen, we, we can have good manners and treat one another kind when we're in God's family. Amen? And we act, you act right. Amen? Uh, and the Bible says, "Seeketh not our own." Charity doesn't. Charity doesn't. Well, let me put it to you like I said this before. There's two kinds of people in this world. There's the here I am, look at me person, and there's the there you are, look at you. Uh, I want to help you. Uh, there's there's two different kinds of people there. There's the I want the spotlight, and there's the what can I do for you person. God wants us to be the what can I do for you kind of person. Uh, God wants us to. God wants us to take care of others. 
And a person that's operating under the influence of charity is a there-you-are person. Let me read you this little story about General William Booth, the man that founded the Salvation Army in England. It was Christmas Eve, 1910. General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was an invalid and near the end of his life. It was impossible for him to attend the Army's annual convention. Somebody near the general suggested that Booth send a telegram to be read at the opening of the convention to the many Salvation Army soldiers in attendance as an encouragement for their many hours of labor serving others throughout the holiday in the cold winter months. Booth agreed. Funds were limited and telegrams charged by the word. So to ensure as much money as possible would still go to help the needy, General Booth decided to send a one-word message. He searched his mind and reviewed his years of ministry, seeking the one word that would summarize his life the mission of the army, and to encourage the soldiers to continue on. When the thousands of delegates met, the moderator announced that Booth could not be present due to his failing health. Gloom and pessimism swept across the convention floor until the moderator announced that Booth had sent a telegram to be read at the start of the first session. He opened the message and read one word. Others, signed General Booth. That's what it's all about. It ain't about us. It's about others. That's what the ministry is about. It's about others. Christ came into the world to save sinners. It's about others. Charity seeketh not her own. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Hey, we're not to do anything for somebody to say, oh, look at you, you're so good. No. The Bible says, but in lowliness of mind, that's humility, let each esteem the other better than themselves. We're to take the attitude of you're more important than me. You're a better person than I am. And, and you know, I want to do something to help you. I want to bless you. And that's, that's the attitude God tells us we're to have. He says, look, not every man on his own things but every man also in the things of others. Now, that don't mean be nosy. That means when that means quit worrying about yourself and take care of other people. Because if, I can tell you this, this, it seems backward logic, but this world logic is backward. But what God is saying is, if you've got problems and don't know what to do about them, find somebody else with problems and help them with theirs. So, well, all mine won't be taken care of. God will provide someone to help you with yours if you're helping someone else with theirs. That's how God works. That's how God does it. Amen? And that's exactly what this chapter is telling us to do. It's telling us to get involved in serving others. This charity is not easily provoked. Think about Moses. Moses let the children of Israel provoke him. It wasn't no big deal. Yeah, it was. Cost him his interest into the promised land. He got mad at him and was ready to him to all deny. He slammed it thing down on that rock of Gibraltar two times like that. And sure enough, there come the water. I'm not rock of Gibraltar. What am I saying? Rock of Horeb. I'm in the wrong ocean. I'm, in, I'm supposed to be in the desert. I'm out in the ocean. Anyway, the rock of Horeb. But anyway, when Moses struck the rock of Horeb and the water gushed out, that 
second time. He 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 was showing he was saying you have to crucify Jesus again, and that's wrong. He was giving him a wrong picture. And God says, just for that, you're not going in the promised land. Again, don't let people provoke you. Because when people provoke you to anger, you're going to do something you regret. The Bible said, love, uh, charity thinketh no evil. It literally means, now get this, thinketh no evil, it means that love doesn't store up the memory of any wrong it has received. It don't, hey, sacrificial love, this kind of love, this kind of agape love, don't remember stuff you did three years ago and bring it up next time they're mad at you. Now, I'm not focusing that on anybody in particular, but if that hits you right at your doorstep, you better remember that. It ain't right to pull up something somebody did way back yonder to make them feel bad again again next time you get mad at them. That's not how God operates. That, that's, that's not doing right. That's thinking evil. Love, listen to me, real love lets go of the hurts of the past instead of hanging on to them. Because what good are they going to do? Why would, you, why would you hang on to something that hurts you? Just to bring it out later and hurt again. Let it go. Give it to God and let it go. Amen? It says that it rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Charity always wants the best for others, and charity will always stand up for the truth. Verse 7, it beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. Here's four more things that love is. It's strong because it beareth all things. So you can't break it. Real love. I don't care how much you put on it. Real love. If it's real, if it's genuine, if it's sacrificial love like Christ. hanging. Listen, have you ever put more on God than he could handle? Have you ever laid more at the feet of Christ? He said, okay, well, your salvation was good at this point, but you broke it with that right there. No. God, hey, listen, his strength is stronger than any strength in the world, and if God gives you his love and his strength and puts it into you, you can love somebody even if they break your heart. You can continue to love that person even if, they, even if they're awful to you. If you really set out to love them and if you ever love them, you can love them through anything. Strong. It's, it beareth all things. It believeth all things. So it's strong. It's believing. You say, well, why, how do you keep believing that it doesn't work out? I don't know how, but I believe it will. Because there's still a God in heaven. It hopeth all things. It's hopeful. It endures all things. It's enduring. Spurgeon calls these four virtues love's four sweet companions. And we're going to hurry up and get done this chapter. There's some important things before we get done. Verse 8, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And I'm going to address this real quick. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Listen, again, we're talking about preaching here. Sometimes preaching don't work. Sometimes preaching don't do no good. Preaching... Listen, there's been a lot of people heard lots of good preaching, and they walk right over there lost. Sometimes preaching, sometimes preaching don't don't do any good. Amen. And, and you know what? And 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 preachers get more scarce. Preaching is. Hey, listen. There used to be preachers everywhere in America. Now there's churches all over the place can't find a preacher. Prophecies are failing in America. They certainly are. 
Whether there be tongues, they shall speak. We talked about that. The Jews require a sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. And, and again, tongues were a sign gift. And, and again, tongues are for winning people to Jesus. They're not for churches to do to make themselves feel more spiritual. So tongues was, again, somebody being able to speak in someone else's language in order for them to hear about Christ and be saved. And, again, that's just not a common gift anymore. Matter of fact, I don't know that it's even anywhere anymore. But that doesn't mean God couldn't still do it if he wanted to. But, but the fact of it is, the Bible tells us that tongues shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Somebody might look at that and say, ah, we're more technologically advanced and smarter now than we ever have been. I'm going to tell you right now, we're dumber than we ever have been. We may have more technology, but we're dumber as a society. You go back four, five, six, eight generations ago, they were people learning to read at five years old, reading library books, big ones. I read, uh, I can't remember who it was, George Whitfield, some of those guys, and they were reading big, huge books when they were little kids. I mean, people used to be a lot smarter than they are. We're dumber people than they used to be. I can tell you that's for sure. All these things are decreasing, but charity doesn't. Everything else may go away. Everything else may wane. But I can tell you God's love won't fail. God's love don't quit. God's love does not lessen. It don't give up. He said, verse 9, now pay attention, stay with me, we're almost done. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Now down here below, like I started out saying about the idea of a gardener, down here below we use these gifts that God's given us by his spirit. We didn't find them, he gave them to us. And we use them like a gardener or a farmer using a hoe and a shovel. We're down here sowing the seeds of the gospel, down here hoeing and a raking, and working for God with these gifts that he's given us. And we're tending to his husbandry. But someday, that harvest is going to come in, and it ain't far off. Matter of fact, I don't think it's far at all. I think the Lord's coming any time now. I I believe the trumpet can sound any moment. We are that close to, to heading out into eternity. Amen. But one of these days when that trumpet sounds, we're going to throw our shovels and rakes aside and we're going home. All the harvest is going to come in. Amen. That's what the Bible's telling us here. Now, during this time, all this stuff we have, we're, we're, we're kind of working half blind. We, we're, we're working in the fields, but we, we ain't seen the harvest yet. We're just working toward it. So listen to verse 10. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. What does that mean? Depends on who you ask. I've heard people, I, I, matter of fact, I, I had an argument yesterday with a preacher that I love very dearly. But we were, not an argument, we just disagreed on what this text meant. He tried to tell me, when that which is perfect has come, it's talking about when the Bible's finished. And that's why tongues are going to pass away. The Bible's finished, no more need for them and all that. And I said, wait a minute, hold up a minute. You're trying to tell me in the middle of this teaching about the love of God and, 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 and letting God's love work through you that he interjected to a group of Christians back in the first century about the Bible being finished later on. And how that was going to, that don't make no sense. I understand. They, they're, they're fundamentalists, and I agree. Listen, we want we don't want to, we don't want to we don't want to give any credence to to charismatic tongues. I understand that people are so scared of that that they'll jump plumb into something the Bible don't even say. What does it mean when that which is perfect is come and that which is in part shall be done away with? 
Like I said, right now we're working in the fields. Right now we're working, and, and we're and, and it's hard work. But you know what? Someday the harvest is going to come. Like I said, and when the harvest comes, we throw the tools down. All that, all that is over, and that which is perfect or complete. You know, the Bible tells us over in another passage that says, "Be you perfect." Well, we can't be without sin. But what it means is be grown up, be complete, be brought to a completed end, be grown up. Amen. And so Paul is saying when that which is perfect or that which is complete has come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. All these gifts we have, all these things that he's talking about, and why we have them, all that will be over with. Look at what he says in verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, you remember, he told him, he said, I can't speak to you as under carnal, as under spiritual, but as a carnal, as under babes in Christ. He's telling them, y'all are grow, y'all need to grow up. You need to grow up spiritually. Because, listen, God's given you these gifts to work with so that you can exercise these gifts and work in his love and grow up. Because there's coming a day when this work's going to be over. And when that which is perfect is talking about the resurrection of the dead, when we see Christ face to face, we sang about it this morning, Face to face, I shall behold him far beyond the starry sky. Paul is using the example there of being a child and becoming a man, putting away childish things. He's using that as an analogy for spiritual growth. And the present condition is like being an infant compared to what's to come. Again, he's urging babies to grow up, cast off their worldly carnal thoughts and desires, and live in the power of God. And I say to you this morning, if you're not doing that, you need to call on the Lord today. You need to repent of your time wasting. You need to repent of your hesitation. What are you waiting for? Get in the get in the fight. Get in the battle. Get in there and serve God. What are you What are you waiting on? I mean, He's giving you invitation after invitation after invitation. Verse twelve, He said, "For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face." For now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Again, I told you about the disagreement I had. There are other versions of the Bible, and you know I don't look at other versions and worry with other versions because King James is the Bible. Amen. But it says, it says in other versions of the Bible, now we see in a mirror. Now, seeing in a mirror and seeing through a glass darkly are two different things. First of all, when I look in a mirror, I don't see through a mirror, do I? No. So you can't say that saying in because it says through. We see through a glass. Okay? Another thing, again, old King James always right. Did you know that there weren't no such thing as a glass mirror until the third century? So we're talking about 200-something-odd years. Before, after this was even written. So he couldn't have been talking about a glass mirror. Amen. He says, for now we see through a glass darkly. What is he saying? What is he talking about? You ever try to look through a dirty window? Not hard to see what's on the other side through a dirty window. Especially one got sand and mud blowed up against it. It's dry. So I said, who's that pulling up? I can't tell. Got to clean the window before you can see. You know what? I can't see heaven from here either. I can read about it. I know all the kind of detail, but I can't see it yet. It's like looking at it through a glass. 
sharply. The Bible says, but then, face to face. Now, if this is talking about the finished Bible, I don't see my face. Now, the Bible does tell me how I am. Now, I can refer back to that verse, but I wanted to try to preach it that way and say that it's like a Bible, like a man behold his natural face in the glass, but, but that's, not, that's not talking about a mirror either. This is talking about when I see Christ, when I'm there, when I get home. It's hard to see heavenly things clearly down here until we see him face to face. And we will see him face to face. We need to use the talents that God has given us for his glory. And we don't need to try to take the glory that belongs to the Lord. We need to humble ourselves and give ourselves to God. Say, God, I I may not be much, but you could use me. You gave me the ability to to, to do some things. The Lord, I've got to have the power. You've given me the talents. You've given me things. But again, if, if, if God's not in it, it's not going to do us any good. A person can have the best singing voice in the world, but if they don't sing for the Lord, where's the glory in it? A person can tear a piano up, but if they don't play it for the Lord, where's the, where's the glory in it? man could be the best speaker in the world, but unless he preaches the gospel, what's the good in it? We're going to see the Lord face to face. And like I said, we need to use what he's given us until that time. We need to grow up. We need to grow up and serve the Lord as obedient children. And and let's show him the reverence that's due, because he certainly deserves our reverence. The Bible said, Then shall I know even as I also am known. Just imagine. I I shall know even as also I am known. When we get to heaven, we won't have to walk up and go, Hi, Paul, I'm Brandon. Hi, Moses, I'm Brandon. I won't have to do that. Moses will know who I am. And I'm not Moses. And Moses won't just know who I am. He'll know all about me. And I'm the one. I already know the red book. But I mean, I, I know more than that. I know, I know stuff I don't even know then. Heaven is such an open place. There's nothing hidden there. You know the, you know the word occult means hidden. Right? It does. And and, and devil hides things. The devil likes to hide and hide things. God's open. God lays it out there. We get to heaven, we're gonna know everything. We'll know listen, we'll know as we're known. We'll know God like God knows us. Ain't that something? And Paul has has brought us to this point to show us the difference between here and there. To show them the difference between being a baby carnal Christian and being one who's sold out and given all they've got to the Lord. It's night and day. I'm going to close with verse 13. And now abide it, faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. Hope and charity. Again, he's talking about all these other things that pass. Some of these other things are going to pass away. He said, but these three are always going to be there. Faith. Faith ain't going to leave when everything else goes away. Faith is believing it simply because God said it. Amen? People used to say back back when I was a kid, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. 
then somebody jumped up and said, it don't make no difference you believe it or not. God said it, and that settles it. <laughs> they want to cut us out of it. They got nothing to do with it. But it's true. If God said it, that's, me. that's all it takes. It don't make no difference what you think. Your opinion means squat. God said it, and that settles it. And because God said it, and that settles it, I can have faith in it. Amen? And my faith don't have to change no matter what happens around me. My faith is not based on circumstances. My faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. God's Word said it, and I believe it, and that's all it is to do with it. My believing what God said will always be. Amen? Even when I'm in heaven, I'm going to continue to believe what God has said. Amen? I believe things God said down here I don't even understand yet, but I still believe it. Amen? I'm going to tell you something. I believe stuff that God said in this word that science says is not true. Did you know that You know that science teaches that, that, that the sun reflects off the moon? Did you know the Bible teaches that the moon gets its own light? Right. The, the science teaches that we're in an we're in infinite universe spinning at a high rate of speed, spinning around the sun going like this, and yet you can't feel nothing moving. God says we don't move. God says we're immovable. God says everything else moves. The sun has its circuit. The moon has its circuit. Everything else turns, but the earth stands still, and the earth is fixed, the Bible says. The Bible says that there ain't no infinite universe, that he created a firmament and stretched out the heavens like a curtain. So we're basically in a snow globe, and God's sitting right above us, according to the Word of God. You say, you really believe that? You better believe it. Science is a bunch of liars. I believe what God said. He said, now about it, about it, faith, hope, and charity. Well, it's hope. You need hope. Hey, listen, don't ever lose hope. Hope will always be around if you want it. Hope is what keeps you going when everything else is failing. It's hope that says, hang in there. The Lord's going to work. Don't give up on God. He's going to work. Keep on hanging on. God's going to do it. I expect God to work. I don't, I don't just think, well, maybe he will. I know God's going to work. And I desire for God to work. So hope keeps me. Hope will keep you. Hope will sustain us. Psalm 42, 11. Listen to what David said. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? He said, why am I feeling these feelings of depression and anxiety? He says, he's telling himself, hope thou in God. Self, quit being stupid. Get your eyes on, on the Lord and look to him because he doesn't fail. He said, for I shall yet praise him. Who is the health of my countenance and my countenance and my God? That's the answer to depression, folks. The answer to discouragement, to being upset over a situation. Hope in the Lord. Quit worrying about it. Turn it over to God. God is going to work. I'm expecting God to work. I'm desiring God to work. So my soul can be at rest because I know God is going to do what he's going to do. My hope and my expectation. It's not in anything on this earth. It's in the Lord. 1 Peter 4, 8, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity, listen, shall cover the multitude of sins. Where there's no charity, whether it be in a home, whether it be on a job, where there's no charity, Every word everybody said looked at with suspicion. What do you mean by that? What were you trying to say? I wonder what they meant when they said that. You trying to say something about me? 
People look at everything you say, where there's no charity. Everybody's got a chip on their shoulder. Everybody thinks somebody's out to get them, where there's no charity. Every action is liable to be misunderstood, misinterpreted, where there's no charity. Because everybody's worried about everybody's motives. Everybody's looking out for themselves. They're trying to take advantage of me. That's what happens when there's no charity. But where charity abounds in a fellowship of believers, little things and even big things, quickly overlooked and forgotten. We don't hold grudges. Amen? I'm thankful that that's the way God operates. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God doesn't just forgive us and then stick a card back in a file folder to pull it out later and say, remember when you did this? No, the Bible says if we confess, Lord, I did it, I I, I failed you, I sinned against you, God, please forgive God's faithful. That means every time, every time. A husband's faithful if he's faithful. How many days a year? Huh? Every day. You don't have to know how many. Every day, right? Okay. you got to be faithful every day. I mean, you take one day off, are you faithful? No. Right. Amen. Remember that, Aubrey. Get married, amen. You can't have a day off. There's no, there's no hall pass. There's no vacation days. Marriage. Faithfulness is all the time. And God's faithful all the time. God doesn't take uh, take days off, amen? So and, and, and so when I fall down, I know that if I come to him and I, and I, and I say, I'll, I'll say, oh, Lord, please forgive me, God will forgive me, and it's done. And he says, and cleanse us, which means he washes it away so he don't see it no more. And I'm going to tell you, when you're in amongst a group of Christians who love the Lord and have charity, when you fall down, everybody say, hey, I fell down before too. And so I'm not going to beat you up. I'm going to love you and I'm going to help you up. That's what God wants us to have. That's the kind of love that God wants us to have. Isn't that how he loves you? Again, and I'm going to close with it. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. Let's stand together. We're going to turn to number 65, and we're going to sing a song of invitation. Miss Joanne comes to the piano. I want to ask you this morning, Is there any growing room in your Christian life? Is there any room to grow? You know. Do you need to grow in your Christian life? Or do you feel like you've achieved penalty? Or is there still some room that you need to grow? I urge you this morning to do some self-searching. I urge you this morning to ask God that question. God, was this for me? In these last few moments of this age of grace that we're living in before Christ comes with the trumpet sound and we're taken out of this world never have another opportunity to live another day for Jesus, we'll stand in his presence and we'll reckon up the books of everything that we did for him and the things that we didn't do for him. In these moments, is there any growth that you need to achieve? If, that's, if, you, if you feel like that's the case, today would be a good day to do something with that. Today would be a good day.
to bow your head in prayer and say, God, I sure want to be more than I am right now. I know I'm not all I ought to be, but I sure want to be more than what I am right now. And I know I can't do it, but you can. And so, the best I know how, I come all around words to say, the best I know how, Lord, I'm going to give myself to you and put my life, everything about me in your hands, and I'm going to ask you to take control. I'm going to ask you, Lord, the Holy Spirit of God that lives in me, I'm going to ask you to guide me day by day. I'm going to pray every day, and I'm going to say, Lord, guide me today to, be, to, to do the very best of Jesus I can do today. And one day at a time, one step at a time, I'm going to walk with the Son. If that's your heart's desire here this morning, I urge you, when we have a song of invitation, if you're able to come and pray, you ought to come and pray. If you're not able to get down on your knees, you ought to sit where you are and pray. But you ought to, you ought to do some best in God today. Father, I just ask you, please, bless the invitation. Lord, you know what needs to be done in life. Lord, I know what you do. So, Lord, I pray this morning, during this invitation, Father, you have your willing way with your people. And we'll give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse number 65. Red. Yeah. 